Happy uh, 4th of July. We want to celebrate this nation, 240 years of uh, a nation that has prospered and has brought the gospel around the world uh, in past years, and we have yet to see what this nation can accomplish. I feel compelled to speak to you about this great nation and about what we need to do electing the next four years. And uh, that's a consideration we almost have. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Father God, we look at these next four years and consider electing the will of God over this nation. We pray, God, that you will help us in our understanding and in our positioning as a people of God in a land that needs the Savior. Help us in Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to share with you a little bit of a civic lesson as well as a scriptural spiritual lesson. And so uh, let's get into that. We're electing the next four years. You'll understand what I mean by that by the time I'm through. But what I want you to consider is that at the beginning of our nation, this nation was established as United States coming together under a federal government. And they had to come to a decision as they broke away from Great Britain. In that decision, they needed to decide what kind of rule should be over these united states that were considering federation together. And it was during the Constitutional Convention in 1787 that they deliberated, the leaders of these colonies and these states, came together to deliberate what kind of government should run this nation. And as they were secretly behind doors and meeting every day, the people gathered around the convention hall in Philadelphia, and one Mrs. Powell was standing there, and as soon as they were convened and they walked out, Benjamin Franklin walked out, and she said, well, Dr. Franklin, what have we got? A republic or a monarchy? And his reply was this, a republic if you can keep it. Many of you are familiar with that quote, and it is essential to the definition of what a republic is. The United States of America is based on a republic. That is a um, representative-based form of government. A republic is not a democratic-run government. It is not a monarch. The difference is monarchical is, is passed down from a king uh, and a queen unto the next generation, and it's run and ruled by them. Uh, a democracy is run by the majority vote of the people. And so this instead is a republic which we elect representatives to represent the Uh, members of this nation and so what's vital to a republic is if the people can properly keep it john adams said this concerning a democracy he said remember democracy never lasts long it soon wastes exhausts and murders itself there never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide because a democracy is run 
as they would put it, by mob rule. As soon as you had 51%, they could decide what to do for the rest of the government. And so they saw that democracy was not what was necessary to keep a civil government and authority, but a representation for the people was absolutely necessary. So we have a democratic republic which is designed to represent the people for the people by the people. And so the people elect officials who will represent them and their states in the federal government. And so the representation is for the well-being of the people. And that was the original intent. What we've got today is that our government has become the representation or a government for the well-being of those who are representatives. And that's a problem, isn't it? The real issue is the moral failure of the people. The people get the representation that are their moral concerns. The people elect officials who represent their moral concerns. And you can see where the morality of this country has been in the last eight years. Our Constitution was made... As uh, John Adams says this, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Why? Because if you have immorality among the people, the representatives that they will elect will be immoral. James Madison said this, That the Christian religion, in its purity, is the basis, or rather the source, of all genuine freedom in government. I am persuaded that no civil government of a republican form can exist and be durable in which the principles of that religion have not a controlling influence. You know that Christianity no longer has a controlling influence over this nation. I want to drive this point home a little further and just play about a two-minute video. I'd like the audio of that video on this tape as well. Please listen and consider this. is 
dispute. Amen. A lesson learned from communist China. Benjamin Franklin, in fact, said this, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become more corrupt and vicious, they have more needs of masters. We cannot hire enough police to rule an immoral nation. And so it was the thoughts and intents of a moral people who would obey their God and keep peace in the earth. And that's why our founding fathers said that this representative source of government will represent the moral stature of the people. And when the moral stature of the people begins to fail, so will its government. And that's where we are today. And so what's happened then, we have to ask ourselves, what is the problem? Is the problem the government? No. The problem is the church. Where is the church? I had an astounding vision, if you will, five minutes before this service as I was praying for this message. And as I was praying, God, what's happened in the last eight years? What's happened to this nation where the morality of this nation and the very definition of marriage was dismantled and all of the moral uh, chaos that is ensuing and there's been no outspoken voices, no resistance, nothing coming against it. And God said, do you want to be a nation of bobbleheads? I had a vision of bobbleheads. And that's what we've been as the church. We just bobble. We just accept everything that's come down the pike. We've done nothing to influence this nation. But there's too many of them. That's never been a problem with God. So what's the problem? The problem is us. So what are we going to do in this election? What are we going to do with the next four years? I couldn't help resist but put this in. Choosing between Democrat and Republican is like choosing between Fanta and Sprite. No matter which one you choose, they're both owned by the same company. This is going to be a tough election, but may I say, if the church is looking to this election to change this country, we've failed like bobbleheads once again. We have to choose what's going to happen in the next four years. And this government is not going to reform the nation. It's not only going to represent the people that have elected it. We have to change the impact of the church in this nation. Where is the representation? We're in a place of moral collapse in a post-Christian nation. And so the moral strength of our country has failed because the church is no longer the light that it's supposed to be. We're all under a bushel. And what matters concerning the Word of God to this nation is we've been outright dismissed, eliminated from the public square quite eloquently, quite sufficiently, so that we have become a people of no avail. Our salt has what? Lost its savor and we are being trampled underfoot. Christianity in this United States 
has been trampled underfoot, I don't think I have to go into it any further than, again, the last eight years to prove this to be a fact and nothing is going to change. And so, how are we going to elect the next four years? The, the remedy for our country is not a political party. The remedy for our country is a revived church. It has changed this nation in the past and it will change it again. And so what needs to be elected over the next four years is the elect of God's people. We've been elected. You've been elected for the next four years to change this nation. And it's time for us to get up and do what needs to be done to change the moral landscape of this nation so that in four years we might have someone who would represent us in the government, but we are elected as God's people to change the moral fiber of this nation. Don't look to the Democrats and the Republicans to do that. Look in your own mirror and realize you've been called and elected by God to do this work. Amen? I want you to know that we've been in a spiritual drought. How many of you have felt it? How many of you have thirsted for God to move? I thought for sure that we would be in revival by now. I had thought for sure after all the labors and all that we had pursued and all that had been done in the name of Jesus that we would have seen revival come. But the opposite took place. I, I could barely believe it. When I've pressed in and I've tried and thought and sought and sought people to worship and sought a, a people of God to, to pronounce the Word of God and proclaim it. And it seems across this land, as I talk to many pastors, talk to other leaders, other churches, there is literally a drought, a spiritual drought. When I began to consider this, I began to think about Elijah. How many of you remember that Elijah prayed for the rain to stop? over Israel. Let me share with you that story. It's found in 1 Kings 17 and 18, and this is the reason why. You need to understand the backstory behind Elijah's prayers. First of all, Elijah was the prophet of that nation, and what took place in Israel is that Ahab had become king, and he picked out a wife for himself. You know her name. Her name is what? Jezebel. Yeah, okay, so Ahab had Jezebel, or should we say Jezebel had Ahab. And she brought in Baal worship into the land of God's people. And the people were bo simply bobbleheads. And they received it, and they walked with it, all in the guise of worship of Yahweh. And so what... Elijah did was he felt the unction of God to pray that the rains would cease for three years. And we see what a man of God Elijah was, that he could stop the rain simply by his prayers. How could a man manifest such power and anointing? How could he then release the rains three years later? You'll remember it was three years of drought and finally Elijah said enough's enough and he was ready for a showdown with the prophets of Baal. 500 prophets of Baal. He said, you meet me on Mark Carmel and we will have a showdown. You pray to your God, I'll pray to mine and we, we'll see who is the God of Israel. You remember this, don't you? 
And as the prophets of Baal began to worship Baal, they cut themselves, they howled, they hooted, they, they screamed, and they prayed unto their God as Elijah looked on and scoffed at them. said, where's your God? On vacation? Is your God on the toilet? Where is your God? That's literally the correct translation of what Elijah taunted them with. And as they were seeking something to happen, nothing happened. And Elijah said, now it's my turn. And as he went to pour, come to that sacrifice, he said, pour water all over it. Take barrels of water and pour it. Make it the most difficult thing you can. In fact, did they have many barrels of water? Water was scarce and hard to find. What are you doing with the water? What do you mean you're just going to pour it out? That's too precious. Don't pour out the water. He said, don't worry about the water. We're in a drought. Don't worry about the drought. With God, He can make it rain in a day. Amen? So he poured out the water and he said, The God of Elijah, come show yourself. And God poured fire from heaven and consumed that sacrifice. And then God told Elijah to pray. And to pray for the rains. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And he asked his servant to look. What do you see? Nothing. And he prayed and he fasted and he prayed. Finally his servant said, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. And Elijah got on his chariot and went to tell Ahab. Now the backstory to all of this is what an amazing, if we could just have an Elijah. How many of you know we need an Elijah? If we could just have an Elijah. Don't you know there's one greater than Elijah? It's the body of Christ. But what's the backstory? Did Elijah have some unique gifting and power? Yes, but he was just following the Word of God because in the book of Deuteronomy, it says this, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16 to 17, Take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and He will shut up the heavens, so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will quickly perish off the good land that the Lord is giving you. It is in the book of Deuteronomy that when the people of God stray from the Lord to worship idols, He will shut up the heavens and bring a drought. Elijah was simply praying the word of the Lord. And the drought came according to the word of the Lord. Then, he prayed for it to turn. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. After Elijah killed the 500 prophets, he asked Israel, Who is your God now? And they said, Jehovah is our God. And that's the point he began to pray. And that's when the land was healed and the rains came. We have the precedent in the Word of God for spiritual revival. The problem has been that we've been serving other gods. Do you know when Israel would serve other gods and worship other gods, they would still call those gods Yahweh? 
They made images of God. Do you know that what they called the golden calf? When Moses was up in the cloud for 40 days receiving the covenant, the Ten Commandments of God, Aaron was down with the people. And the people on Mount Sinai said, we want to worship God. And so he said, take off your earrings and all the gold, the blessings that God gave you, and let's smelt them together and make a golden calf. And he said, and this is Yahweh, the God who delivered you from Egypt. And the people didn't know. They thought, this is what we did in Egypt. This is a Yahweh. He's a cow. Did you ever consider that? We've got to examine our Jesus. Could the church be worshiping a Jesus that is not the true Jesus? Have we made Him a Hollywood actor? Have we made Him Santa Claus? Have we made Him the lottery? Is our Jesus a false image of the true Lord Jesus who rules and reigns? It wasn't until the false image was struck down that Elijah could pray to fulfill the Word of God. It wasn't until Moses came down and said, this is not Yahweh. I've been talking to Him. And that ain't Him. I know Yahweh. That's not Yahweh. Has there been a spiritual drought over us as a people who have worshipped the gifts instead of the gift giver? Have we worshipped our churches instead of the king? Have we worshipped our numbers instead of pleasing him? Have we worshipped our music instead of worshipped him? What image do we have of Jesus? Does Jesus care for this nation? Do we care for this nation? Or are we only caring for ourselves? And as this nation is going to pot, we've not changed the climate of this culture one bit. We've become the same temperature as this society. We're just dressed up bobbleheads that look like Christians. Go ahead, change the laws. Go ahead, change the culture. Go ahead. And it's time for us to elect a different four years. How many of you are with me? Amen. You're God's elected officials for the next four years. You are the change agents in this land. The people of God have got to elect what God wants in these next four years for this city, for this state, and for this country. The church must come together as the elected officials of the kingdom of God and begin to decree, thus saith the Lord. It's time to end going to church Sunday. It's time to live a 24-7 Christian life that begins to become salt and light to everyone around it. We cannot get through and get by. It's no longer about us and no longer about us getting through to retirement to ease and to be casual. It's time to fight for the kingdom of God to influence this nation or she'll go down quicker than you could even blink an eye at. We must elect the next four years. We must begin to act like God's elected officials. Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, In these last days God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. 
in the fall they're going to elect somebody. A Trump or a Hillary. Somebody's going to be elected. But God appointed the leader over this nation. God appointed the leader over all the world. And we're His elected officials. We're His campaign managers. We're the ones who are to be wearing the buttons that say Jesus. But we're not wearing a button. We're demonstrating the life of Christ. We're demonstrating the price, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. This thing isn't over after the election. It just begins with the people of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Do you believe that we have the solution? For Elijah, the solution was the Word of God to pray according to the Word that a drought would come, to pray according to the Word that the rains would come. Could we pray for a revival in this nation? Could we pray that the church would receive the blessings and outpouring of God's Spirit? Is there enough here for us to pray on, don't you think? Isn't there enough of the Word of God for us to stand on and claim it? We don't need a new revelation. We need to stand on the present Word we have. Elect the next four years through this word and this constitution, this declaration of heaven. We must be a prophetic people. So we must look at the next four years of what God wants to do. And so what we must be as a church is we must be a prophetic people. A prophetic people. Not Pentecostal people. Not gift people. That's nice. Corinth was a gift church and it was full of problems. How many of you know that? But a prophetic people do this. They do what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. And they do it to build up the body of Christ, not separate it, not fault find it, not be critical, but to build, edify, exhort, and comfort the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a prophetic people, let's do what Jesus did. Let's do what Jesus is doing and let's know what He's going to do in these next four years. Anybody with me? I need a people who are with me. I am asking you for the next four years. And I am serious in this. I'm asking for your lives over the next four years. I want you to sow into the kingdom of God. If you're in this little local community church, I'm asking you for the next four years of your life. You begin to do what Jesus did. You do what He's doing. And let's look forward to what He's going to do. Let's be a prophetic people. Let's pray. Let's study the Word. That's what I'm asking you to do. Look at what Jesus did is found in 1 John 3.8. The reason the Son of God appeared... The reason Jesus, this is why He came, the reason He appeared was to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. I think there are so many works of the devil round about us every day in your neighborhood, in your city, in your schools, in your government. Don't you think we got enough work to do? That stinks. Don't you think we have enough work to do? I need you for four more years. Don't you think we have enough work to do? Over the next four years, I want to train you how to destroy the devil's works. I want us to be a people that when someone's troubled by the devil, they call you. They don't call Ghostbusters. They call you. They call the church. And they'll know you're part of the church because of what you demonstrate. It's no more going to church. It's being the church. You need to destroy the works of the devil because that's what Jesus did. How many of you are with me? I need you the next four years. 1 Corinthians 14.31 For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn 
and all may be encouraged. Does that leave anybody out? Every one of you, over the next four years, I want to teach you how to prophesy. All of you will learn how to prophesy so that all of you will learn how to prophesy so that all of you will teach people and encourage people. For the next four years, we're electing the government that's going to rule over our lives. The government ruling over our lives is the kingdom of God. Are you with me? Anybody with me? Anybody with me? The next four years... You're going to learn how to put the devil under your feet and you're going to learn how to prophesy as Jesus did, does, and will do. Amen? Second, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I need everyone in this house to operate in the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Why? For the good of all of us. Amen? And so for the good of all of us, we will be enriched, we will be blessed if everybody participates. Don't come to church once a month. I want you here every week. Amen? Now you're here, so I'm preaching to the choir. But tell the people that are sitting to your right and left. See that empty chair? We need them. Why do we need them? Representative government. We represent the government of God. Do we? I need you the next four years. We're determining the way this government's going to run. And it's by the government of God. Amen? So what, what the, the, the federal government's going to do and take from you and demand of you, we first go to the government of God and say, this is what we'll do. This is the government of the early church. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We're going to manifest the kingdom over the next four years. We need to, number one, prepare for a harvest like we've never seen before through the demonstration of hospitality. That's that's friendship to the strangers, friendship to the lost. We're going to see more people saved than ever before over the next four years. I'm believing that. I'm prophesying that. But we have to do that work as the government representation of God. Does this make sense to you? If every one of us begins to represent the government of God and begin to reach out to prophesy and to edify, people are going to come into this church like never before. And we're getting ready. We're preparing that. We're prepping for that many lost souls to come and get saved. And I need your full participation because we can't care for that many newborn babes unless everybody's involved and engaged. I need you in the next four years. We're going to change the government of God in this place. Amen? Amen. Amen. Next. Raise up solid believers to demonstrate the love of Jesus and the kingdom of God. That means we need strong marriages, we need strong families, and we need strong Christian education. We want to pour into your lives. We want you to become strong. We want you to know how to use your money, how to make a good life, how to have good relationships, how to keep relationships, and how to function on a solid rock. Because when the bottom of this thing falls out, which it's coming, you can't exist on $15 trillion in debt. This economy is going to fail, but you're on a rock. Your government is the government of God. You stand on Jesus. So whether you have money or you don't have money, you've got Christ and you're strong. Amen? Amen. Next four years, are you going to stand with me? Amen. Amen. Praise God. We're going to train every believer to be used prophetically in the full manifestation of God in us. We are going to reach the next generation. That's exactly how the enemy has brought this moral corruption into our society. It took truth out of the schools and made it relative 
so that now truth cannot be counted on for anything. And so nobody has a moral compass to right and wrong, north, south. Everybody's lost. The next generation has no clue as to what the Word of God is. And it's time for the church to rescue that generation. There's a new generation coming up and we have the responsibility to care for them and teach them. They're sick of what they're seeing on TV. They're going to grow sick and tired of what their parents' lives have done to them and destroyed them. This lost world is losing their own children and where's the church to pick them up? Get ready! There's orphans out there who don't want to stay in the religion of their parents because there is none. They need Jesus. They're going to come to the light. Amen? And so are you going to, for the next four years, reach out to the younger generation? Yeah? Anybody? Anybody? I got one here. Amen. We're going to change our community with a revival presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over the next four years, we're going to sow into this community to where we begin to see a culture change. We have to be the experiment. We have to be the manifestation. It's going to happen around the world. God's dropping this into the hearts of of churches all around the nation. And God's calling us to do it. We're going to plant three churches in this community so that the wells of God's presence are going to rise up and we're literally going to change the culture over the next four years. But I need you. Are you with me? Don't just be a bobblehead. I need you. Amen? Amen. We don't need bobbleheads. That's how we got to where we are today. We need people who are active and alive and ready to change. We are going to be a people no longer serving this world. We're going to serve the King Jesus. Listen to this carefully. We need kingdom-minded citizens, not American-minded Christians. I'm going to say it again. Someone should write it down, make a t-shirt and a bumper sticker. This is... We need kingdom-minded citizens, not American-minded Christians. Amen? We are going to learn to operate the Mark 16 mandate. The Mark 16 mandate is this, and these signs shall accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The next four years, that's what Jesus is going to be doing. Will you do it with Him? Will you do it with Him? Amen. Amen. Christians prepared and ready to see revival no matter what happens in our government and our surrounding situation, we get our decree from the Lord Jesus Christ. It is strategic where we are at. God knows that He put us in this bridge between the suburbs and Detroit so then when the climate change hits here, spiritually, it will have an impact to the suburbs and it will have an impact into the city. God is calling you for the next four years to execute and do this. Amen? I close with Romans 14, 17. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not the regulations and the rules and the religious exercises that keep people's heads bobbing. It is righteousness, joy, and peace. Number one, you're going to have so much joy that you can't believe it. When the Spirit of God moves, there's joy like never before. Despite what happens round about you, despite what happens to the economy, joy is an essential component of the church. Amen? That's kingdom. 
you've got a joy unspeakable full of glory. Amen? We're going to have peace because peace means it's an ordered life. Because your peace is on God. Your peace is on Christ. You don't meet up with Him now and then. He's every breath you take, every action you act. Your peace has come upon Christ. For the next four years, you're going to have joy and peace like never before as you press into the Lord of God because of righteousness. You're in a right relationship with the Father. If you've got the Son, you're in the Beloved and you're in a right place. And so what I'm putting for you is an election for the next four years. Does anybody want to run this government with me? Anybody? Anybody? The next four years, we're electing the way our lives are going to be run. It's not going to come from Democrats, Republicans, the federal government, the state government, but on high. And that's what we're going to do. We'll obey the laws, but first we'll keep the law of God. Amen? And we're going to have joy, peace, and righteousness over these next four years. Why? Because we're God's elect, and God is electing you to bring the kingdom to this planet. Amen! Hallelujah! Come on, stand up.